Welcome, everyone, to Season 2, Episode 51 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yash Pika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, we're going to discuss the Liverpool-Manchester City match, Leicester City versus Arsenal, and much more. Uh, I'd like to start off the episode. I apologize for my dampened voice today. Um, I feel like the uh, the sickness or fallen under the fever of a sickness uh, the past couple of days, so I'm still under the weather a little bit, but... The show must go on, as they must, as they always say. So the premier, the premier pod is still here, but we're, let's jump right into the uh, Liverpool Manchester City match, where we saw the Liverpool beat City three one at home. Sort of similar. Uh, this game kind of reminded me of the Champions League match in the 2017-2018 season, where uh, going into that Champions League semifinal, everyone thought City were going to take care of Liverpool, but. It was Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool that hit City on the counterattack, a, dev- a devastating counterattack with Salah, Mane, and Firmino, and, and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, and the multitude of players they had there. The same formula worked again for Liverpool. Um, just the first two goals, just classic counterattacking goals, and just hit City right there. And then from there, Liverpool were able to control the game. But Tyler, what did you see on your end? For me, I saw basically the same, but also... When I saw that Man City defense, I was thinking immediately, all right, we definitely have more of a chance than I first suspected because Bravo in goal. I was like, all right, we we definitely have a chance of him in goal because he's yeah. not the best keeper. He's very good with his feet, but as a goalkeeper himself, he has some tendencies to make some mistakes. And also his, hand, his ball handling is just not as good as Ederson. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. also, if you just look at Angelino or Angelino, the yeah, I don't back. know how to say his name. It's like, it's um, like, why is he starting him in this big game? He hasn't really had that many minutes Mendy. as a starter. Yeah, over Mendy or even Jao Cancelo. And then, once again, Fernandinho playing center back. Not the best at yep. center back. He is, in my opinion, a better center defensive mid, and I think most people would agree. He had mm-hmm. Otamendi on the bench too, but it goes to show how bad Otamendi is or how much <laughs> he trusts in Fernandinho to start him in this basically a possibly a title deciding game. And I was going to I was going to say this right before you move on. Um quick question on cities and do you think how bad can I guess how bad was the recruitment on Manchester City side to not buy another big center back knowing that company had left the club and you know obviously no one would have expected Laporte to get hurt but Laporte was their best center back and he got hurt and it seems like leading up to the season Pep Guardiola in the past never really trusted John Stones or Otamendi they were both kind of just thrown in whenever they had to play how bad do you grade I guess the Manchester City board of directors to not kind of buy some buy a center back that was worth you know that was world-class quality or close to being a starter. Um, like, I just don't understand how a team like this managed by Pep Guardiola just missed out on signing a center back. I mean, in terms of a grade, it's hard to really say, but I'll, I'll go through an explanation first before I say like a, like a verdict. But for Manchester City, if they don't trust Otamendi to start in a big game, then why keep him? Because at this point, mm-hmm. I feel like every player you have should be a player that you feel comfortable having in the starting 11 because you never know, you know, if Laporte gets injured, then you're going to have to have someone there ready to go in your starting 11 
or consecutive games that can do the job in defense and you know shore up defense Mm -hmm. and if you don't trust any other player to really do that if you don't trust a center back to play center back then that's clearly an issue and you probably should have got rid of him and got another player in and for john stones as well i feel like pep Guardiola had some trust in him and seeing if he could improve but even then he's just not that good defending he's not that good but i mean he did save Manchester city from losing some points against liverpool last season from just that 11 millimeter (laughs) clearance on the goal line so i think that's why he's still at Manchester city but even then he has some potential he's just like not really fulfilling it but wrote to mendy and just it's not really any other center back at Manchester city Mm -hmm. they bought joao cancelo and i'm like all right it's another Why? fullback. <laughs> He's another fullback, and they have already Kyle Walker, Zinchenko. And then they have Zinchenko, uh, Benjamin Mendy, and then of course now Angelino. So it's like, why? <laughs> it's like I know if Kyle Walker goes out, then it's then there is a bit of an issue at right back. But at the same time, they needed more center backs, mm-hmm. and unless they're going to put Kyle Walker at center back, like he does it for England every once in a while, which they didn't. I don't know why they didn't get a center back. So if you were to put a verdict on this, then it, I would say like a C minus yeah. because like for most situations, it would kind of pass. But then when you really need this big game, like this big opportunity, like against Liverpool or maybe even against like an on fire Leicester, mm-hmm. I don't really feel confident that city can really defend their goal and like comfortably go away with a win. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely agree. Uh, and then we also saw, uh, that Aguero still hasn't scored in Anfield. Um, but another thing to point out was that after, at the end of the game, Pep Guardiola basically was very sar- sarcastically. It seemed like he just kind of ran over to the refs and shook their hand and then said something to them. And then in his post-game interview, he basically said, oh, I wasn't doing anything or I wasn't doing anything bad. I just congratulated them on the game. Um, but we all know Pep. Pep is, seems like a very passive-aggressive manager, and it just seems like he doesn't tell the truth a lot of times when he's on these post-game press conferences, like most managers. And it just looks like he was very mad, and you could clearly tell throughout the game that he was pretty mad um, over the refereeing decisions in this game. Mm-hmm. He was very frustrated, especially with the handball calls on Trent Alexander-Arnold, and then also... <laughs> there's like a meme going around where the second time he basically was just like screaming up and down the sidelines just with his hands up with the number two just like twice twice just screaming in the air and that's that's classic pep for you like just on the sideline just going berserk and then at the very end yeah when he's giving his handshakes to michael oliver and the rest of it, the referees he was just you could tell he was very upset and he's just very sarcastically just congratulating them on a good game but man this is that's some classic pep for you it's just kind of like disrespect he had his hand like his left hand in his front pocket like the whole time too he's just like just one one hand shake he's like man this guy (laughs) oh yeah um that you know that we've seen that from pep before i mean i think we saw it a lot during his first season when things weren't kind of going his way and he got pretty passive aggressive over everyone um, and then we kind of see it cool off, you know, once the results started going in. But, you know, City have not played their best stuff this season and we've seen them lose a lot of games. But another instance, kind of switching over to the VAR topic um, during the game, um, I believe it was like the first six minutes uh, City were on the front foot. They were attacking and there was an instance I'm trying to remember clearly, but I think it was a 
they were trying to call a handball on Trent Alexander-Arnold, but I think um, they ultimately didn't call it because I think the proximity of the ball to his hand was just too close to call. And then while that was happening, the City players basically stopped in their feet trying to protest for a handball, and that allowed Liverpool to just hit hit them on the counterattack, and that's when we saw Fabinho score. Um, I believe that was the first score we saw Fabinho just score that rocket into mm-hmm. like the bottom left corner. Um, but another instance where... You know, we kind of just see VAR. Well, we we just kind of see like the situation not take care of itself, and we see a team get punished for thinking that there would be a review on the call. At the same time, Manchester City players really didn't defend the situation well when they should have just played on and just if there was a call to be made, then you know they should trust in VAR to you know reverse the situation. <laughs> but it kind of reminds me of the goal that happened in Liverpool versus Manchester United earlier this season where Origi, in my opinion, was fouled. <laughs> and then Manchester United <laughs> got a breakaway. And then within, I would say, 10, 20 seconds right after Origi got the ball stripped from him and fouled and then Manchester United were on the breakaway, they got Manchester United got a goal from that. And VAR, if they were to recall that for a foul, then it would be a really tough decision and it, it kind of would disrupt just it wouldn't be a decision I feel like would that would merit a reversal and this and also with how much time passed from after the foul and for this situation as well where the ball bounced off Bernardo Silva's hand and then onto Trent Alexander Arnold's hand and then 22 seconds later Fabinho on the other side of the field rips a rock and scores a goal. Between that, there's too much time to reverse the call, in my opinion, because it just that kind of ruined the game if like all of these calls were kind of made like that. And also, if you were to go by the rules, then it wouldn't have been a penalty for Manchester City because it would have hit Bernardo Silva's hands first. So it would have been a free kick to Liverpool, but also at the same time, it is up to Michael Oliver's discretion to like play on if it's like, you know if it's a play worth like deeming just playable because for the end of the game, you want just to have like a free flowing kind of football where you don't have want to stop every few seconds, every few minutes you want to be, have some kind of flow, some kind of continuity to it, in my opinion, at least. So for him to stop it from there, you could have, but I think Michael Oliver, he's one of the best referees in the Premier league, in my opinion, at least. So I think mm-hmm. it, he just wanted to play on. So, and that's what he did. And the Manchester City players, of course, were a little frustrated by that. And we saw Aguero just basically chasing down Michael Oliver during that play right after hit Alexander-Arnold's hand. And he wasn't in position and the rest of the Man City players were just kind of distracted by that. And that, that's also why Fabinho is just wide open for a long shot. So mm-hmm. it's just little things like that. It's like, why, why even barrage the ref if you know there's gonna be var that's <laughs> gonna review everything so yeah i don't know that's just confusing no it, it no it definitely makes sense and you know that's what led into liverpool scoring their first goal and again uh far at the center of discussion here it probably won't ever stop being the center of discussion because that's you know where we've seen this new technology being implemented and a lot of people still have their you know their their uh their doubts about it but um, is the title race over now after this result for you, Tyler? For me, as a Liverpool fan, I've seen them in the situation, particularly last season. They had 
basically eight points above Manchester City around Christmas time. And although now it's November, which is a lot earlier, and that league could grow even more or it could decrease accordingly. And we'll never know until the Christmas season is over, the holiday season is over, because that's when a bunch of games happen at once. And that's when the best teams, the ones with the most depth, really kind of either close the gap or make the gap even wider. So for me, I'm, I'm a little cautious, a little bit more pessimistic, and I'm not, I'm not going to say this title race is over. I still believe it's between Manchester City and Liverpool, despite Leicester being in second place right now with eight points behind. But for me, I still think Liverpool are in control. It's more favored for them. I, I really hope they do win, <laughs> but I don't think the title race is over. But what about you, Yosh? Uh, as much as it pains me to say it, I, I'm probably going to lean over to... If there was a 50-50 pendulum, I would probably lean towards Liverpool having a 70-30 edge right now. Um, not going to give them the full 90 or 100 just because we are still in November and they have to play the big fixture list in December, January. Champions League matches start to pile up. Um, they're still in the Carabao Cup, so that's going to pile up. And then obviously the Premier League matches start just coming at a, you know, just start coming at a frenzy. But from what I've seen from Liverpool in these first couple months in the Premier League season, they've just been the best team. Uh, defensively, they're locked in in the Premier League. I know in the Champions League, they can let in a couple goals, but in the Premier League, they're locked in. They have Virgil van Dijk. Um, Ali Son is back at goalkeeper. That just provides even more assurance for me, for them in the defense. Um, Alexander-Arnold and Andrew Robertson seem like they haven't skipped a beat from last season. The midfield... Jordan Henderson seems like he's improved a little bit offensively. I mean, he's coming in clutch with, you know, assist, goals, um, things that he wasn't kind of doing last season. I feel like he's made some big plays uh, this season that have allowed, you know, Liverpool to score a game-winning goal, get a tying goal, or, you know, and his leadership has carried them. Wijnaldum looks a lot, for me, he just looks a little bit more brighter offensively. It just seems like he's finding better pockets of space. Fabinho is their controller. In the defensive mid position, he's just so powerful and so strong that it's he's just an excellent center de- defensive mid for the Premier League. And obviously, the front three—you mean Mane, Salah, Firmino—they, you know, we we don't have to say much about them. They're probably the best front three in the Premier League right now. They just so good at you know intertwining, so good at moving around the positions in the front three. I mean, they're so they're just so good that for me, I just. That front, that starting 11 for me is just too good. And then if you look at their bench, their bench, as we've seen, have, you know, they just have really good depth. I mean, they may not have some of the names that City have when he comes and when you look at City's bench with Jesus, Silva, Mares, but the players that Liverpool do have on the bench do contribute and Klopp isn't afraid to bring them on. And I think that's probably the, the biggest difference between the two benches i know city's bench can seem like they have the star power and they do but um for klopp at least he's not afraid to make the big call and use some of his um bench players so for me i'm leaning towards liverpool have the title kind of decided because they've just been the best team in the premier league so far Mm. i will say that right now if you just look at the two squads as well with Manchester City's defensive depth or lack of depth right now, it is possible that Manchester City will drop some more points during this Christmas season because Laporte won't be coming back into the squad until earliest the start of the new year. 
Mm. And once he is back, that will sure up the defense <laughs> for sure. And then it'll be a lot more competitive between these two teams then. But right now, it would be leaning a little bit more towards Liverpool. But as a fan, I'm, I'm just mm-hmm. a little cautious about saying that kind of stuff. It's not no, really I understand. much certainty. No, I I get it. If I was a fan of Liverpool, I would always be – I'm always the type of fan that's very cautious. I don't like to say anything's done until it's actually done. But coming out as a neutral – to me, Liverpool have just been so good that it's just hard for me to bet against them. Just their home record. I mean, they can win away. They can win the scrappy games. They don't have to play the best stuff. I mean, by far, they've been the best and most impressive team. But we got to move on. We can't keep talking about Liverpool and City forever. Uh, we got Leicester City versus Arsenal. I remember last week when we were previewing this game, we were both kind of leaning towards Leicester City. All the problems surrounding Arsenal. Aubameyang is now the new captain. Um, they've gotten players back. Bellerin was back. Kosanic. Um I still can't say his I can't still say his Kolosniak. name. <laughs> yeah, Kolosniak. Um, sorry over tyranny. Ozil was back in the starting lineup again. Xhaka not in the team. It seems like now um Emery has put his foot on the ground and Xhaka pretty much is gonna leave in the January. Best it's probably the best decision for him and the club and the fans and the supporters. I mean, I think everyone just kind of agrees that. They both these player, the player and the club just need to part ways. But in this game, we just saw a team that we saw Leicester City side. That if you were to ask a fan that's never that doesn't know anything about Premier League knowledge, doesn't know anything um, about the history of the Premier League, and you were to ask them which club is a historical powerhouse, and they look and they just watch this game. They would probably say Leicester City is the historical powerhouse and Arsenal are the team that are fledgling for mid-table finishes all the time. And Because it was that obvious in this game, especially the second half when Leicester City picked up their goals. I mean, they were just playing. They were just so confident on the ball. They were just playing so much more confidently. Um, the passes were so much more sharper. Everyone seemed like they knew what they were had to do. And meanwhile, for Arsenal, everyone was just kind of lackadaisical. Ozil... <laughs> When they didn't have the ball, was just kind of walking around, just seemed, you know, his shoulders slumped. You know, what what we've seen from classic Ozil in big games is just he kind of just slumps around. But to me, like Leicester City just proved why they're in this top four form right now, just by far above um, Arsenal. And to go on to Ozil, like, that's kind of how he plays, though. Ozil is not Mm -hmm. the type of player who will press a another team defense who will not try to win the ball back from the other half's opposition. He's going to be the player who will kind of just like low, low work rates in terms of if you were to make this FIFA related, mm-hmm. he he will be a player who doesn't really make too many runs. He's just, if he's in a position that he wants to be in, he'll just kind of saunter over there and then he'll find a pass. He'll find the pass, but he's not the kind of player who will really make the hustle, which doesn't really surprise me. But what did surprise me is that, Unai Emery had a formation where it was like a 3-4-3 formation. He had Kolosniak and Bellerin playing as the wingbacks. And then he had Chambers, Socrates, and David Luiz playing the three center backs. And he had this formation in a way where he had Ozo playing right wing. And then Pepe was on the bench. So there's been a shift now where Pepe is now kind of gone onto the bench and Ozo is now getting the start in my opinion is good because Ozo has been a proven player not only in the Premier League but also just on the world stage especially in the World Cup as well so Mm 
if there is a player that can possibly turn this season around, it would be Ozil to kind of come back, take the take the helm, and you know, steer the ship back. But also, when you bench Pepe, a right winger, and then put Ozil there, you kind of lose that explosiveness, <clears throat> that that ability to really unlock a defense and really create some more chances. Where Ozil, he will unlock chances as well. Like he, he's very good at creating chances, but he he's kind of different. He's not going to take a player on, beat him. He'll maybe bring a player into a play that like he's like how do you even find a pass like that or how do you even think to juke a player in a certain way to open up space for someone else so it's a lot different of a player and it's i feel like arsenal was trying to get used to having ozil on the team again because they're just so used to having pepe obama yang just running up and down the wings basically but this game it was, it was just kind of awkward to watch for arsenal but Despite that, they were doing pretty well in the first half. Like it was still zero zero. It's just not until the second half when <laughs> Leicester basically turned on their Barcelona mode again, and then just had two amazing team goals from Vardy and Mad- James Madison. So for them, this is just insane to see. Like I was like, wow, it's just a team like this is currently on fire. I still don't think they're in the title race, but for now, if they keep playing like this, they're for sure top four. Oh yeah. Um, and we've, we've spoke about Leicester city and their kind of dominance right now. And they, they've just continued on the good form. Um, it was a good result to get right before the international break, but Arsenal still searching for answers. Unai Emery is still their manager. So it seems like kind of reminds me of Louis Van Hall. Um, it just kind of seems like no matter how bad the results get, Unai Emery will probably pick up a win here or there to kind of, I don't know. I, I know we discussed this, but kind of save his job in a sense. Um, and, you know, Arsenal will probably, you know, move directions or uh, change managers at the end of the season. They'll probably just stick with Emery until the end and see what they can get. But right now for Arsenal fans, it's not looking the best um, in terms of their formation and getting the most out of their players. Still searching for answers on them. But um, going over to Manchester United versus Brighton, United picking up a 3-1 win at home. Um, this was a big result because uh, in the midweek, they did pick up a good win against the in the Europa League, and they had to continue kind of this form because last week in the Premier League, they lost to Bournemouth 1-0 away. It was kind of a shocking result considering the form United were kind of picking up. But this game, they picked up, uh, you know, they had a 2-0 lead, and then they conceded a goal and then quickly got got a goal back. But for Rashford... Probably should have had a hat trick. He missed a complete sitter. <laughs> but, um, you know, Rashford is one of those guys that he's just so good in terms of doing, like, cool link-up play. And he's also the type of guy that will score bangers. But, you know, he'll miss, he'll miss like, the sitter that's right in front of him. It's just kind of the player he is. He kind of, um, in terms of... I, I really don't know how to explain it. It just seems like he can score the really hard goals. But when it comes to the easier finishes that you would expect a out-and-out striker to make it's just sometimes he misses those and you know that's kind of what we're dealing with with Rashford but honestly for me if he's able to score the hard finishes and he's missing the sitters I feel like a lot of times that's something you can fix in the training ground it's not like he's missing the quality it's not like he's um, as people would like to say on Twitter a tap-in merchant it's one of those things that you know he just needs to improve in his game and I feel like that's something you can improve on as long as he's got he's got the skill I mean we've saw we saw like the elastico he put on the Brighton defender I mean it was filthy uh but you know that's something he needs to work on in his game Fred I wanted to point out Fred was absolutely fantastic in this game um he was playing a lot of forward passes I mean he played um I believe for the the third United goal I mean he played in a 
a beautiful long pass or, you know, ground pass into Rashford. But Fred overall in this game was linking up play really well. He was moving the ball forward. And it just seems like this is sort of kind of like the money that United spent on Fred. This is sort of the expectation of performances we were kind of expecting from him. And, you know, it just seems like we may be seeing a little bit better version of Fred. And that's always nice to see. But for me, um, the chances that United did create, it was probably the most exciting match I've seen um, since probably since Ole was a interim manager during that first month, he was interim manager, just the style of play, the forward passing, the chances created. Um, it was just barrage after barrage of chances that, you know, United could have honestly won this game five, one or six, one, but um, you know, they didn't take their chances, but it was a very exciting game to watch as a United fan. Mm-hmm. I agree. And this was a very good game for United because there were not any chances that were finally scored but there are also just so many chances that could have been scored and usually in the past few games like that's something that was United was kind of struggling with to just create chances and with Andres Pereira the first opening goal was a little not even a little lucky it was pretty lucky it was one is a huge deflection off Stevens and off Dale Stevens and then just you know glides in and then even the second goal off uh, Scott McTominay from the free kick it kind of just bounced around in the box and then it bounced off another player in and in. <laughs> so like little things like that. But Marcus Rashford onto that where he is finishing the hard opportunities. Like his goal that he scored in this game was off the cross for an in. And that's a very difficult like shot if you even tried it by yourself. But he did miss that sitter and that kind of goes to show that he was a winger first and rather than a striker. He is basically a player who's very good at, you know, juking a player out, finding space, and then the finishing. He's like a slightly better Pepe in this kind of scenario where he can't finish, but he he will also miss the sitter. And I feel like that's also a mentality kind of thing because when you think of those best players of all time, like Alan Shearer, things like that, he did score a lot of tap-ins, like even Luis Suarez too. And for those, it's kind of like, those sitters, they're they're actually kind of easy to miss because if you're just not really concentrating enough, you're not really thinking about where the ball is going to go as you strike it. Like it's very easy to just shank it wide or just completely whiff it. And I think that's kind of what's going through Marcus Rashford, Marcus Rashford, Rashford's head when these situations do come to him because he's just not really used to being that main goal scorer. And that's kind of going to show right now. But I think over time, if you can just really improve just like that that mindset. Just really, I, I'm pretty sure he is practicing, but at the same time, is like that mindset of making sure he finishes all these opportunities, like even like the tap-ins, just really concentrate. I think that's what will make the difference. Mm-hmm. And I do want to point out another, like another topic, Brandon Williams, he started this mm-hmm. game, which means Solskjaer listens to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Because... It also it helped like, that, it also helped that Ashley Young was um, on a suspension, but he opted to play Brandon Williams instead of Marcus Rojo at left back. Mm-hmm. So that there you go. So that means he, he definitely <laughs> listens. And an interesting stat on the other side at fullback, Enron Basaka, he is actually the player with the most successful tackles oh, yeah. in the Premier League I so far, that. which is pretty cool stat mm-hmm. to see. Oh, yeah. He's just so good at tackling. I mean, I mean, anytime he lunges in for a slide tackle, he always wins the ball, but... He's a great tackler, um, and it was a good result for United. But uh, kind of going 
to the Tottenham Sheffield United match again. Tottenham struggling to pick up some form in the Premier League, drawing one one against Sheffield United. Um, just for me, the Tottenham players seem to have lost that hunger and desire to win the ball back, to press, and you're just kind of seeing in the Premier League they're just struggling. Mm-hmm. And I saw that too because, especially with Sheffield's goal. When you see a player about to cross in or something like that, you want your defenders to be aggressive to stop the cross from coming in in the first place. Because there's two ways to defend an opportunity. You can either stop it at its like inception, like once before it even gets the cross off or even before the chance even happens. Or you stop it as the shot's like happening or like from the keeper, like as Aniga has to save it or a player has to just jump in front of the shot. And I feel like because... Tottenham haven't been too aggressive in the defense. That's why you see Gazaniga is just getting just so many saves per game because they're just not being aggressive enough in stopping these crosses from coming in or just stopping a shot from even being taken place. So you saw that in the Sheffield United goal where basically they just got a, like a free cross from the side and then just glides off Dyer's head and into the goal. And it's just little things like that where just weren't really concentrating and weren't really aggressive enough to stop this opportunity, which is why they went away with the 1-1. And credit to Sheffield, because right now they still haven't lost away in the Premier League yet, and that's why we see them in the top five. Who would have thought Sheffield United in the top five right now in November? Like, <laughs> that's insane. No, they're, they're doing a great job there. Um, the fact that they're in the top five, that's quite astonishing, especially in the month of November. Um, so they're, I feel like they're, I wouldn't say they're safe to stay, uh, stay up in the Premier League, but if they continue at least some sort of form after this, they should be fine and credit to how well they play, how tough they play. They're just a very tough out no matter who plays them. Um, and then the Chelsea Crystal Palace game, I thought this game was supposed to be a little, I felt like this game should have been a little bit more competitive, but Chelsea, um, kind of took care of Crystal Palace and to me, it seems like they've solved their striker situation. Um, ever since Diego Costa left the club, uh, they've kind of had a barrage of strikers out there. Bacuay, Alvaro Morata, Olivier Giroud. Um, but no one really took stranglehold of that position. We've seen Eden Hazard, Pedro even at times play center forward for them. But it seems like with Tammy Abraham, they finally have an out-and-out number nine again. He's a young player, and you know he's kind of carried on that form from the championship into the Premier League. And it kind of brings up this question for me. I mean, uh, just to mention, Pulisic also scored again, so that's big for him. But in terms of who's a better player out of Rashford and Abraham, you may blame this on my bias, but I, I don't think it is bias. I personally think that Rashford is the better overall player than um, out of the two, just because he has that unique skill set in terms of he can hit the free kick, he can beat opponents on the wing, um, he's got the skill set there, and you know he's got the a knack for finishing those great chances. He's just got to fix his, you know that that sort of that mental side of his game in terms of finishing his the tap ins. But for the better finisher, I would have to say right now Abraham because Abraham just seems like he's an that out and out number nine. And he's had some really good finishes. Like it's just some very smart, deft touches, um, you know, slotting the ball past the keeper, nutmegging the keeper, placing the ball where it should be. A lot of those little placement things that you would see a, a classic number nine um, score, he has that, you know, he has that in him. He has like those classic number nine tendencies of just knowing where he's supposed to be and finishing the ball when it, uh, where when it's given to him. I agree with those points as well. And 
is a pretty fair comparison to have Rashford, who is, in my opinion, a winger first rather than a striker, but he is the main forward for Manchester United. So comparing these two, it is a little different. If it, if this was FIFA, it'd be pretty easy. It's clearly Rashford <laughs> because mm-hmm. of pace and just the meta of the game. But in real life, I would actually pick Abraham currently on current form because he's just so natural in terms of the finishing, as you just mentioned. And also just Rashford right now, just those little things, that little lack of concentration at times to finish. That's also what's cost them a couple games during the season where for Abraham, he's kind of put Chelsea on his back at, at times and found the goals. So for right now, as striker at least, I'd say Abraham is the better player. But if you were to put him both a winger, clearly Rashford. So Rashford is a little bit more interchangeable in terms of these two players, but... <laughs> For just pure form right now and the, the forward position, I'd say Abraham is actually better, which I didn't think I would say at the very beginning of the season. Hmm. Nice. That's a, that's interesting. I feel like, um, yeah, that's an interesting take. I, I still feel like Rashford can bring, in terms of like the overall play, I think he's just a, a little bit better. But I, I, I can go either way in this one. I, I definitely agree that Abraham still is a special player that can grow even more. Mm-hmm. Um, but... We got the Norwich Watford game. Nor Watford actually picking up a 2-0 win, picking up their first win of the season. Norwich, the Pookie Party, is canceled, is closed, is done for. They are just struggling to pick up any type of form after that beating, famously beating Manchester City at home. But Watford finally getting a win. I think it's much needed for them. Uh, not much to say here, I would say. This is a big game in terms of the relegation battle. And it was a Friday game for us in the East Coast at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. So not many people saw it, of course. Probably not even us. I was, yeah. I was still at work. But yeah, I was um, a, I had, at class. <laughs> so like low-key, this was a huge game because of the implications. But Watford getting the, their first win of the season after us roasting them for not getting a single win so far. <laughs> they heard us, so they finally got that win. And now they're starting to rise up the table. I think that De La Feu penalty against Chelsea low-key did have an effect in giving Watford some hope, some chance to really get, really take the opportunities to heart. And against the Norwich side that is struggling, even at home at Carroll Road, which is a lot different and the much basically the opposite of how they were in the first half-half of the season. I don't know what's happening with Norwich. They have a lot of injury issues right now with Tete even playing center back at times, like currently in this past game. But this is not looking good for Norwich because right now I think it's going to be them. These two teams, I still think Watford is on track to still get relegated, but I, mm-hmm. I think right now it's just these two just dancing in fire right now, just about to go down. And oh, Norwich yeah. is just, there's no up from here. It's just mm-hmm. I don't really see much of an ascension or like a bounce back. Unless Pookie has another party or something. <laughs> oh man, we we just don't know. But uh, another team that's kind of on free for all, free fall right now. Burnley beating West Ham three 0 West Ham haven't been the same since their Twitter admin um, said Pellegrini is at the wheel. Probably the most cursed words in soccer right now. Um, but that team, I just don't understand how they've just been falling like this, especially with their manager and the players they have. I I just don't know how to explain it. <laughs> I, I honestly I can't really explain it either because even 
with a change in goal. Like Roberto, he's clearly not as good of a keeper as Lucas Fabianski, and he's just not as confident in goal. He just doesn't command his defense as well, and he just has a lot more lapses of concentration. Just a lot of reason, like a lot of goals West Ham can seize is like, why did the keeper do that? Like that's usually the question you ask. It's like, why do you do that? It's like, oh man, he's like, that was a very poor goalkeeping error. Like little things like that, like those kind of comments. That's what you see of Roberto currently in the West Ham goal. And that's never good. But at the same time, I'm also kind of concerned with why West Ham is not scoring. If if anything, West Ham have the caliber to score. They have all their players healthy in the offense and just no one's finding any opportunities. So I don't know what's happening right now at West Ham. They're doing so well. The first first half half I keep saying first half half but like they're doing so well at the beginning of the season and right now they're just in as you just mentioned free fall and it's not really a reason to explain why it's just mm-hmm. doesn't really make sense yeah and uh Newcastle versus Bournemouth Newcastle again picking up a 2-1 win but um it was the defender scoring again they still have they're still Almiron and St. Maxim Alan St. Maxim still have zero goals um Joe Ellerton only has one goal but um it's just very weird that Newcastle keep winning, but their forwards aren't really contributing to the uh, to the uh, to the win column with their goals or anything. It's just the defenders, but you know they're surprising me. I think they're just doing a lot better. I mentioned this last last week, but uh, the fact that they're doing this without Rafa Benitez is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. And also, with despite the situation, Newcastle have just been miraculous in terms of getting results. It's kind of like a Crystal Palace situation, just not as extreme. But also just, it's it's insane that they're still scoring goals, but with their defenders. Like, there's none of their offensive players are getting goals. And Almiron and St. Maxim, during this game, they had some opportunities. It just didn't look like it was meant to be. Like, Almiron, he had a, he had a pretty good opportunity, but he shot at his own player. <laughs> and St. Maxim... I believe hit the frame of the goal during this game as well. So it's like it just it's just not meant to be. I don't know why, but some way somehow Newcastle are still winning. And if they have to rely on their defenders to score throughout the season, that'll be a pretty insane statistic and kind of fun fact to kind of point out. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> because this is this is kind of wild. And also the Longstaff brothers, Sean Longstaff is currently. In, a, in suspension and Matt Longstaff is on the bench. So that's why I see Hayden and John Joe Shelby back in the starting lineup. But that's also a key thing to point out too, because with those two players in John Joe Shelby and Hayden, they've gotten more goals than just simply one <laughs> in, in two consecutive games now this season, where literally last game, they haven't scored more than one goal a game yet mm-hmm. until, yeah, until we see John Joe Shelby back into the starting 11 and Isaac Hayden. Oh, yeah. Um, and then we have Southampton versus Everton. This is the first. Basically, I, I kind of chalked this up as a win for Andre Gomez. Obviously, we all know about his tragic injury that he suffered um, last week against Tottenham. But Everton rallied together and they got that win for him. It was pretty big and it was pretty cool that um, Andre Gomez, uh, like on Twitter, he was just like, come on, boys. Like, you know, uh, you know, just like that rallying cry. So that was fun. I was like pretty heartwarming to see as a just a Premier League fan to see Everton kind of rally together and get this nice win for Gomez, who's on his road to uh, hopefully getting making a full recovery back to playing in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. And for Everton to come into this game against a pretty vulnerable Southampton team who just, I, I honestly don't know how 
what their mindset is right now in terms of the South End and players coming out from that 9-0 loss and then losing to Manchester City and then going into this game. But they were did not go into this game with the mentality to get anything from it because it was basically all Everton. Everton had 24 shots this game oh to goodness. Southampton's four. That's that's insane. And Tom Davies had the game of his life. He was just came he came into the starting eleven, which a rare start for him, but for him to come into the starting eleven and get man of the match and get the victory 2-1, that's pretty big. But for Southampton, I'm a little worried for them too now because Everton and for Southampton, this is a low-key relegation battle as well mm-hmm. because of the current form and situation but for Everton to kind of improve and go from that this is a big up big points for them but for Southampton if they don't bounce back they could find themselves in that 17th 18th position at near the last half of the season in I would say late April early May and that's not something we were expecting for Southampton Mm-mm. especially with especially Rafa- under Hudel. Yep. Yeah, especially under Hudel, we thought he would bring a little bit of something different this season, but the same problems are still plaguing Southampton. Um, and then going into the Wolves-Aston Villa game, Aston Villa, again, not able to hold on to their lead and picking up some points. Again, they lost 2-1 here. Ruben Neves scoring an absolute wonderful goal again. Seems like whenever he does score, it's always outside the box in the upper 90. I mean, he just has all amazing technique. But again, Aston Villa struggling to just hold on to a lead and you know securing a win for themselves but they you know and then the wolves have just picked up some form and i'm no longer worried about wolves anymore it seems like they kind of found a form and a formula to start winning again they've kind of adjusted to the the balance it's like real life work-life balance but you're kind of seeing it in sports where now mm-hmm. they're they've been a few months into the season with this kind of workload and now they're kind of a little bit more used to it and maybe rotating players in and being able to adjust to the amount of games they've been playing. I think that's also been helping them out in terms of just, you know, getting results now, especially against the Villa side who can surprise teams, especially when we watch them against Liverpool. They could have gotten points. It's just, I don't know why Villa just can't hold a lead, which is very rough, I would believe, for Villa fans to see. It's just every game is just so hopeful. And then all of a sudden it's like, ah, oh, there it goes. Just all gone in the last few minutes. And Dama Traore, man of the match. He is a man that we've highlighted once already this season in the in the Premier Premier Pod, but he got huge assists this game and also just huge man of the match. So I'd like to point that out. <laughs> he also listens to the podcast. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. He's uh he's definitely picked up his form and then Rahu Menes. Um or he's just so good right now. He's just playing so so well, Jimenez. Um, even though if he never he if he just if he's not scoring every game, it seems like in the Europa League he's just been such a key key piece for them um going forward. But um that kind of rounds up episode 51 for us. Um uh, obviously there is no preview section because we are on international break. Oh. Sad face, because that is pretty sad, <laughs> especially since um, you know. It was starting to get really excited, and you know, with the drama of that Liverpool City match, I wanted to see how both those teams bounce next week. But obviously, the international break is here. Because of that, next week expect to have a Champions League and Europa League recap uh, once again, kind of like our tradition. Whenever there's international mm-hmm. break, um, 
you know, there's a lot of storylines um, evolving in that in those two competitions for the Premier League side. So definitely stay tuned for that. But other than that, thank you guys so much for listening to episode 51. That um, kind of does it. Um, please make sure to rate, comment, subscribe. Um, tell us what you like, what you don't like. And we'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace.